0: Well, good morning and uh, happy Father's Day. I believe I actually preached last Father's Day as well last year on Psalm 1. It was actually my first Sunday preaching here at IGC. Uh, I'm excited to preach you guys again this Father's Day. Uh, We're going to be continuing our series in Deuteronomy this morning. And we're actually at a transitional point in the book of Deuteronomy. Wait a second for the plane. In Deuteronomy, the first three chapters are a historical review recounting some of the life of Israel that's already happened. And the stories are being retold with a purpose to encourage God's people as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And now as we begin chapter four and move into the rest of the book, we're going to see that the majority of Deuteronomy focuses on preparing God's people to live in God's land, in the promised land. So it's preparing them. And so most of Deuteronomy actually will end up reading as a sermon from Moses to God's people. And one of the biggest emphases of this, if we were to to summarize what Deuteronomy is trying to do, it's trying to answer a question of how are we to live as God's people? God has saved us. He has redeemed us. He is bringing us to this land, and now we're about to enter it after 40 years of waiting. How will we live as God's people In this promised land? And this question is just as relevant for us today, church. We're not looking at a a promised land of a physical land on this planet that we're waiting to be brought into eagerly, but we are awaiting the new heavens and the new earth, all things being set to right. God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together and worshiping Him forever. And so while it's not the same as wandering in the wilderness, we too, as people who have been redeemed by God, look for. How are we to live as God's people? Because he has saved us, because he has redeemed us, he has made us his treasured possession. How then do we live? So this is what we're actually going to focus on this morning in Deuteronomy 4 as we enter these sermons of Moses. So if you would, if you have your Bible with me, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's printed in the bulletin as well. You can access it on your phone from the church website. And we'll read God's holy and infallible word From Deuteronomy chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal pure for the Lord, your God destroyed from among you, all the men who followed the bails of pure, but you who held fast to the Lord, your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord, my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering in to take possession of it, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of, of the peoples who when they hear all of the statutes will say surely this is a great and wise nation and understanding people for what great nation is there that has a god so near to it as the lord our god is to us whenever we call upon him and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that i set before you today only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day when they stood before the Lord your God at Herob, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. This is the word of the Lord. And it was given for our good would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning our father uh, lord we thank you for um, a day at which you give your church your people to to gather together um, not only here at this park uh, lord but with brothers and sisters around the world on this lord's day uh, that you have given your church that you've given it to us for our fellowship for our good for our instruction for the praise and the glory of your name Lord, I pray that we would have humble hearts to to listen to your word and to obey your word. Amen. Oh, thank you. Sorry, we had a... I lost pieces of the microphone this morning, but David has saved the day. All right, uh, so this morning, if you look down uh, in your bulletin, I have three points outlined there for you. Each of these are just actually three different words that we'll see in our passage together this morning. And each of these we're going to see as part of the answer that Moses is giving God's people to that question I set up for you of how are we to live as God's people. So we'll go through each one one at a time. Each of them will actually become increasingly shorter. My first point, the listen, um, this passage stresses a little bit more, so my first point is going to be the longest point, and they'll get shorter as we go. But let's dive into that, that first point of how are we going to live as God's people is that we're going to listen If you look back with me at verse 1, we see, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you. This is the beginning of the address that is going to continue. And Moses has several addresses in the book. This one actually is going to continue all the way till chapter 26. And these statutes and rules, as we see later in the passage, these are summarized with the word law. And for many of us, when we hear the word law, or maybe even when we read the Psalms and we hear that the law is sweeter than honey, oftentimes the word law or the word statutes or rules don't sound very affectionate to us. It's summer and maybe we think of rules of like, don't run near the pool. We think of rules as restrictions that are put into place. And oftentimes when we hear statutes and rules and laws, one of the first things we think of is the civil laws that are put into effect. And so for Israel, they not only have civil laws, civil laws being repercussions for murder, for the restraining of evil, repercussions for the stealing of property or livestock. Those guidelines, those laws are there for God's people. But there's also something more that scripture gets at when it's using the expression of law. It's also talking about a moral law, or if I might, an ethical law. Actually, how are God's people going to live as God's people? So more than just the civil law, we're also talking about the how we live as God's people. And that's why these statutes and rules are given to these people. They're about to be God's people in God's land, set aside as this treasured possession. And part of the goal is that the other nations are going to look on and actually worship because of what they see. And so this means this permeates through every aspect of our lives. How do we live As God's people. And this law that is given is not because something Moses wanted to do. This is actually God's word. You can look at verse 10. This is God's word being given through Moses to God's people that he is commanding them. And this law is actually meant to to form them. When we read scripture, we are formed by it. And the law is going to shape every part of this. And if you look at verse 2, we actually see that you shall not add to this word that you're commanded, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. And so this this gift of the land that Israel is about to receive, they're going to be expected to live a certain way when they get to the land. They're actually to be changed by the fact that they are God's people. And so there's not adding to God's word or subtracting from God's word and all that he commands in his statutes and rules in his holy law that he gives his people, is something that not only was Israel tempted to do, and we'll see an illustration of that later in this passage, but this is something that often we are tempted to do as well. Or if we even think about the story that God is telling in God's world from the beginning of time, even all the way back in Genesis 3 in the garden, if you think back on it. The serpent asked the question to Eve, did God really say... It is a removing or adding to what God's word has said. It is a questioning of what God's word said, of what his law said, of what he has put into place for our good, for our benefit, for our instruction. And that question of did God really say is what we actually see lead to the fall. It That beginning of the, the doubting of God's word to be true and good leads to sin, destruction, and death. And as Ecclesiastes says, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And so that, that thing that we see happen with our first parents, Adam and Eve, we see throughout Israel's story continue to happen where they question God's word. They're tempted to add to it or perhaps to even justify some of their own sin or soften it. Who could it possibly be hurting if it's just me going off and worshiping the gods of Baal? And those justifications over time, we see where that ends up leading Israel later in their story. But this is something we even see in our own history as a country. Perhaps you're familiar with that Thomas Jefferson made his own copy of the Bible. He started with getting rid of the Old Testament in its entirety. And then he went through the New Testament, removing all miracles, removing the virgin birth, the resurrection from the dead, And he he went through and cut out because he had to black out so much that he ended up actually cutting out the pieces of Scripture that he wanted to keep. He literally went through the process of picking and choosing what he found worthy to be the Word of God and made what is known today as the Jefferson Bible where all miracles are removed, where you can find some moral guidelines for life devoid of any personal God that makes a relationship with his people And so while we don't do things as severe as the Jefferson Bible, I hope, we've also seen this in other ways recently. For instance, a couple of years ago, a pastor named Andy Stanley, who's written many of books, he came out and said, we need to, as Christians, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need to just get rid of it. It's irrelevant. And church, that should mourn our hearts. Here is God's Word given to God's people. And in the pages of the Old and New Testament, We read the story of a God who from the very beginning of time is setting forward to make a people for himself, a treasured possession, who's setting forward to prepare us to live as his people. And we see that even here in Deuteronomy. So the answer can't be that we get to pick or choose and God's word rebukes us if we try to. And it also can't be like, I'm just going to read the parts that I find to be easier or more appealing It's all of God's counsel for all of God's people throughout all of time. Other ways we see this, other ways that I think our hearts can be more tempted towards this is teachers like Rob Bell, who have a tendency to, when confronted with something difficult in scripture, the the response, and I believe this is the response we commonly see just in our culture as a whole, there's a quote, my God just wouldn't do that. At the end of the day, when confronted with hard truths of what God does. So for instance, even in Deuteronomy chapter two, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on God hardening the heart of the king that he might judge him and bring him to destruction. Oftentimes the response is, my God just wouldn't do that. I don't want to believe that about the God that I worship, that he would judge people for their sin. And that's not the way that it's put, but it's put in such a way that Deuteronomy four is in the context which which, is what Wade will preach about more next week of idolatry and what actually happens when somebody dares to go through and pick and choose to remove something from scripture or to add something from scripture is they actually begin to commit idolatry they begin to make a God in their own image instead of God's word having authority over them they go through and go well I want this piece and that piece and so similar to carving an idol It's making a God for yourself to worship. It's making a God that is not something over you, but be created by your own hands. Or I had a mentor put it this way once, this is the God of your own belly button. Because instead of looking out at the things that God has made and hearing his word, it's looking inward. What do I want? What is it that I want to believe? Can I believe that? And so God's word here makes it abundantly clear that how are we to live as God's people? Well, we're, we're to listen. Moses is standing, giving this address that the people might listen to it. And here's how we listen to it. We cannot have anything more than what he gives and we cannot have anything less than he gives, but rather we have God's words given to God's people. And this is for our good church. And this is for the good of Israel. The civil laws are put into effect for the restraining of evil. And we'll get to it more later, but the moral laws are actually put in. You heard it when we first read, so that the nations might even look on, that Israel's neighbors might look on and go, what a great God they must have. That they have these statutes and rules. That these commandments actually shape them as a people. Israel's obedience to the law actually leads to people praising God. And the same is true for us today, church. So as we listen, we listen with a reverent fear, we listen to the words of God given to God's people. As uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, "The word of God is once spoken and now speaking. It's once spoken. It's it's complete. Here it here it is. But God continues to speak through it through the through the preaching and through the reading of Scripture. He continues to speak to His church. Or as Second Timothy three sixteen says it that all Scripture." is God-breathed, used for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So when we come to God's Word, instead of picking or choosing what we would read or what we would believe, we come to it to be taught. We come to it to be rebuked, to be corrected, and to be trained in righteousness. We come to it to learn literally what it means to be human. As we read Scripture, we are not only informed about the things of God. We are actually formed by the ongoing work of his spirit to love the things that he loves. It actually changes us as we are new creations in Christ. Let's go to the the second point now. All the points will kind of blend together a little bit this morning, as we even saw in verse 1 of our passage. But let's go to that second point of that we're to do God's law. We've already seen this several spots in our passage uh, that we've even reread. But how do we do these statutes and these laws? And I mentioned that we have an illustration here in the passage. Look back with me at verses 3 and 4. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal-Pure. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal at Pure. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. And so the Israelites, this temptation to idolatry, this temptation to add or remove from God's word, they have seen real judgment and destruction for breaking this covenant loyalty, this steadfast love and faithfulness that God has with his people, that he will not share his glory with another, that they are alone to be his treasured possession. And there have been those who, when they listen, failed to do and God has judged them for it. But here's also the encouragement. Those of them, Israel, waiting to enter the promised land, were those who are still alive today. that listened and were obedient. So here's, here's the encouragement for the Israelites, for Moses. They can keep doing that. Here is an example that they can keep following. The things that they have already done. And I think that's an encouragement that we often need And one of the reasons that we have a community, that we're we're not only individuals that are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but we're actually brought in together as brothers and sisters. We're just like the people that God is making for himself in the nation of Israel. He continues to make for himself a people that in a community together can even see someone, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that they can see an example and follow after it that we might actually long for it. I think one of the places I've seen this most in scripture is the book of Proverbs has a lot to, see, to say about friendship. And when you read the way that Proverbs describes a friend, time and time again, I find myself pausing and stepping back going, I want to be this type of friend. I want to have these types of friends in my life. And here's an example of this. Those of them that are alive today have listened and have obeyed. They can do it again. They can keep going. They can persevere. And as we see, this is something that has been taught. We see that in verse 5. That, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And we know that the, the possession of the land, something we see again and again throughout the Pentateuch, is that this land is a gift that is freely given to God's people. But there's also the expectation that they will continue to follow God. They will continue to follow him. They will take his holiness seriously. They will be obedient and loving children. That they will have obedient lives. So how do we live as God's people? We live as God's people by my first point, Not or by listening and not adding or removing anything from God's word, but also doing it. And we actually get to see the result here. I've I've hinted at it already. We actually get to see the result of this because the uniqueness of Israel in its world, in its context, we see that other nations will actually praise God because of it. And this law is not a burden to be endured, but is a response of praise. Perhaps you're thinking of Romans 12 right now, of our act of ongoing worship. Look again with me at verses 6 and 8. It's part of my favorite part of the passage. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Other nations are actually going to not only praise God because of the life they see in God's people. They're also going to actually praise the law that he gives them. Other nations are going to be actually excited about that, of seeing the law in their lives, of seeing the obedience in their lives. My my wife and I have been married uh, for four and a half years now. And when we first got married, I noticed that every summer and every winter, it's probably about twice a year, she rereads through the Anne of Green Gables books. I've only read a couple of them, but constantly when she's reading them, she's telling me things that she thinks would be good sermon illustrations. And actually, this is the first one I'm going to use. And she's actually serving with the kids at the park. So she'll see this later. But the Anne Green Gables books are, are lovely. And Anne, the, the main character, she is a, a very devout Christian woman. And her friend is on her deathbed, and she has cared for her throughout her last days. And her friend, in the end, as you know, she's about to die. Uh, they're both uh, believers. But her friend says, you know, there's just so much I'm going to miss in this world. There's so much that the the parties and the people and the things that I enjoy doing, I'm sure in heaven I'm going to miss all of this. And to some extent, our hearts should mourn for that. Yes, she, she, she has some fear of what the future will hold and the love of her heavenly father that somehow it won't live up to what she wants. But it's the moment in the book for Anne where she decides that she is going to live her life in such a way that when she gets to heaven, it's going to feel like home. And in a lot of ways, God's law is like that. And the transformation that we receive by the work of the Holy Spirit as new creation, that when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, it should feel like home. There should not be things of a broken, sinful, destructive world that we longingly miss. And so not only will the nations praise because of the statutes and laws that God gives, but we as a people should actually be thankful for the laws that God gives, for that transformation that we can actually learn to love the things that he loves. And so my my question there for application is, church, are we ready with the obedience where heaven would feel like home when we get there? Are we ready for that day in which the maybe the, the, the private idolatries, the secret sins in our lives, things that we might even possibly hold precious, are we ready to give those to God in obedience so that others might praise him and that we might even feel at home in the, the real promised land, not a temporary land that God gives his people for a time, but the new heavens and the new earth that we will be given on the last day. Are we ready for that day? Are we preparing ourselves for that day Are we living our lives in such a way that others would actually look upon our obedience to Christ and go, I want that. Or do we treat some of our Christian obedience with heads hung low and with a longing like the prodigal brother that, well, I would love to run off and do those things. I would love to go enjoy the world like my brother did. Why are you welcoming him back in? Are we readying ourselves for that day? Are we loving and cherishing the statutes and the rules that our God gives? Do we actually have affection and praise that wells up within us? Are we ready that by our actions, both in private and in public, that others might look on and actually see the hand of your loving Father who calls you his treasured possession? This makes it very clear that the obedience of Israel was not just for Israel, but was also for their neighbors. And I want to make sure there's no confusion here that our obedience does not save us. As we read in Ephesians, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith, this not of our own doing, but the free gift of God so that no one can boast. Typically we stop reading right there. But the 10th verse is, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand for us. Our response of faith, our living lives of worship, follow that transformation we get. That obedience is the next step. That obedience is a step of gratitude and worship and praise. And that's just as true for here as God is preparing his people to enter the promised land. Let's go to uh, my third and final point. We see, if we look back at verses 9 and 10, this, uh, the final part of our passage. Moses says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day you stood before the Lord, your God of Hareb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And th- throughout Deuteronomy, we're gonna see this again and again and again of the passing on the faith. And so, so far we've looked at How are we to live as God's people that we need to listen? We need to not add. We need to not remove from God's holy and infallible word, but that also we need to do it. We need to be obedient, not because it earns God's affection or favor or grace, but as an act of worship and witness. And here we see that we need to be careful to guard our souls. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, and it refers to the, the entirety of the person. This nefesh that you might actually, with all of yourself, with all of your being, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, obey God's words. And obedience to God actually cannot be done just in outward action, but has to be done inwardly. It has to be done with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God actually, as we see in verse 10, he gathers his people in so that they might hear his word. And our God who began gathering people for himself in Genesis, that gathers people for himself throughout all of time of making for himself a people that they might be holy, that they might be his treasured possession, he continues to do by the subject of his word. that They might actually come in and hear his word, as we see in verse 10. And so this last point is to Teach. And you, you can only actually teach these things to your children. As, as it's commonly said, more is caught than taught. You can only actually do these things if you've actually done the first two. You can only actually teach if you've done the first two. If you've actually listened and modeled that listening and shown forth the obedience. And this just isn't for the parents in the room. This is something we do as a whole church together. This is something that like last week... Uh, isaiah was baptized and we as a church stood and we made vows not only to wade and christine but also to baby isaiah that we would as a representation of the church on earth that we would partner with them in the nourishment and the discipleship of that baby and this is the reality for all of us who call christ our savior this is our community this is our family this is brother sister aunt, uncle this is familial terms Wait a second for the plane. Sorry. These are terms of a family that we are made into. And this gives us actually obligation to one another. Obligation to care for one another. Obligation to live life with one another. And that includes, as I quoted 2 Timothy 3.16 earlier, that means brothers and sisters actually get to teach, rebuke, correct us, also that we might be trained in righteousness. That when we have conversations about God's Word that God's word might have authority over it, that we might not add or remove or soften God's commands. One of the things that happens a lot in workplaces is that you're trained when you come in by someone who knows a little bit more what they're doing. And in many jobs, it's not someone who, that's the only thing they do is train people. A lot of times it's just someone who's skilled and farther down the road than you, but still not perfect in their work. And perhaps you found yourself, after maybe like a year or two in that job, getting to step into the spot where you're having a manager or something come over to you saying like, hey, I want you to teach this new person how to do what you do. And maybe you feel overwhelmed by that. of like, man, I'm not perfect at my job. Like, am I responsible for how then they act? But they've seen something in you where you've modeled a good work ethic, and so they, they want you to do that. I think oftentimes we feel intimidated, whether it's serving with the kids at the park or with the youth group or with kids in our community group or even with our own children of, wait, how do I do this? Am I qualified? Am I qualified to to pass on the faith? I got stuff I'm still working through. Am I qualified to disciple my son, Walter? He gets to see all of my life. He gets to see when I mess up, when I do things wrong. And what we have the reality of and why I use that workplace illustration is we're always continuing to learn. And especially as parents, we're always continuing to learn. And in that always continuing to learn, that's actually something that I pray that my son catches. That when daddy does something wrong or daddy loses his temper, that I, wanna, I want him to remember that I'm quick to apologize for it. Quick to ask forgiveness for it. To actually acknowledge my own wrongs. And so the, the training up our children, which is the responsibility of all of us, and that includes younger brothers and sisters in Christ, not just the little kids off at the basketball court right now, but includes all of us together as a family, that we might seek that obedience, not only as an example to the nations, but also internally. Did you, are you guys catching that our obedience has not only an impact on the external world, but also the internal world? That are teaching our children includes not only praying with and for them and reading scripture with them, but it also includes acknowledging our failures and what it looks like to acknowledge that we are just as much in need of God's grace this day as the day that we first believed. That in no way does that change that we continue to need God's grace. And so if I might, on Father's Day, give an encouragement to the passing on the faith. Um, Another Charles Spurgeon quote that I really love Is saints, how did the ark, or how did the snail reach the ark? Perseverance. The ant, or the, sorry, the snail is remarkably slow. How did it reach the ark? Perseverance. And so, perseverance over time is what we need again and again and again. Perseverance is what we need in our obedience. And that's what Moses is trying to encourage God's people with here in Deuteronomy 4. Remember, you've seen people fail. You've also done well. Persevere. Keep going. Keep following. And this is what we see in the letter of Hebrews also in the New Testament is again and again you're in need of striving. Keep going. You have confidence because of the gospel. Keep following. Don't give up. Don't give up meeting with one another because you need it. You need it for the obedience. And as we're talking about God's law, that obedience is a response to worship. And part of that obedience actually comes that we're teaching him that we're passing it on. I think one of the, the places that often comes to mind when we're speaking of the law is Matthew 5. In Matthew five seventeen, this is what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For true, real quick, how comforting is that? As we're talking about obedience to the law. Jesus comes to fulfill it for you. All right, let's keep reading. This is verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, an iota is the smallest letter of the, the Greek alphabet, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And church, this is a a great comfort for us. This is what makes the beauty of the gospel so different than the other religions of the world and the false and idolatrous worship. Is that Jesus, our God himself, actually comes and fulfills what we could not keep perfectly on our own. The reason that sin is even here is because of us and he comes to address our sin problem. And he does it in a way where he gives us his righteousness, where he becomes sin on our behalf. His fulfilling of the law is not so the law doesn't exist Evil should still be restrained by civil law. Moral law should still guide our lives. We should have ethics, but our ethics are not based in trying to earn a value or worth. Our value and worth is given to us by Jesus Christ. His fulfillment of the law on our behalf, And our response as God's people of how do we live in God's world as God's people. Our response is that we might actually live in God's world as God's people as, with obedience to his law as an act of praise, so that both externally the nations might look on and go, How great is their God that this is how they behave, that this is how they act, how great is their God that he has given them these statutes and rules. And church, I pray that we long and we hope for that day in which the nations look on and go, How great is their God with these statutes and rules? How how great is he? As we continue in Deuteronomy, we're going to see this come up again and again. This is kind of Moses putting the ball on the tee. And this is going to be a long conversation as he continues to prepare the people for living in God's land. As he prepares them for what it is to have their God live amongst them. And we know through time that they end up getting expelled from the land. And they're expelled from the land as an act of judgment because they fail to be obedient children. And our God who continues to show grace, not only all the way back in the garden when the first sacrifice takes place, when clothes are made for Adam and Eve, and not only on a boat with Noah, and not only with an old couple, Abraham and Sarah, but our God continues to make a way of grace for us throughout all time. And we know ultimately that comes in the new covenant in which Jesus fulfills the law for us. Where our hearts of stone are trained for heart, are traded for hearts of flesh, that we're actually made new creations, that we actually no longer is there a temple set in the promised land, but we ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We ourselves are being transformed by God, and so the the covenants of grace it continues to build, it continues to build into this crowning achievement in which the book of Hebrews can say, long ago in many ways, God the Father spoke through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he made the heir of all things, and he makes you an heir with him. Amen. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, we do long for the day at which the nations look on and praise you uh, for... The obedience of your people, for the love of your people, and for the joy that you give us um, and the spirit that you give us of power and of love and of self discipline. Lord, I pray that um, as Moses is, as we read in Deuteronomy, trying to inspire the people to obedience and to faithfulness and to the covenant relationship and love, Lord, I pray that we would long for the same thing, that we would look longingly upon the things that you're doing in the future that we would hope to live lives that glorify you, that cause others to look on and wonder and praise you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.